Welcome to Jason and the Movie Knots. I'm Jason Sachs. Uh, I'm Sean Hill. I'm Paul McCoy. And in honor of the soon-to-come release of The Matrix Resurrections, we went back and watched the first three Matrix films. And uh, it's fair to say my opinions are very mixed and very complicated, so I'm hoping you guys can help kind of clarify some of your thoughts on, on these movies. Uh, I think we could probably all agree the first Matrix film is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I watched it again for the first time in probably 15 years and um, had this amazing experience for like even the things I felt looked dated and flawed about it, like the kind of more rudimentary special effects are actually kind of great. And the stuff that I thought popped originally still pops in that movie. It's kind of a perfect blend, blend of the philosophy and the action. The action is still so cool, even despite the fact that everyone's copied it over the last 20 years. Yeah, it really is. It's it's basically like Star Wars. I mean, it, it broke all this ground with the effects and with the storytelling that was, you know, based on all kinds of other influences and pull them all together into this new package and really i don't know if there's been anything that's hit like star wars aside from the matrix since then well i think it's i think it's probably the most influential movie of the last 20 years sorry sean the next big thing after the matrix was the lord of the rings movies you know which was Mm -hmm. different different kind of fantasy yeah that's true that's true i forgot about that than than the than the sci-fi the the real grounded like european sci-fi of of the matrix i was watching i know this won't really help on the podcast but i'm showing you my matrix box set <laughs> nice that is cool is the ultimate collection with uh, my bust of keanu as neo and I spent all day long yesterday with it, watching all the supplemental materials. <laughs> and I never really thought about, you know, they had two visual uh, visual coordinators or, or kind of designers from comic books, mm-hmm. Steve Scross and Jeff Darrow. Yep. And Jeff Darrow says in some of the material that he was really thinking about Mobius. And Mobius, of course, is our designer for like Dune and Blade Runner in the 70s. Or, or it was who those directors were looking towards for inspiration back then. So I see Matrix kind of even on a, on a developmental chain with like, you know, our last uh, podcast on Dune in a way. It's like visually we're getting immersed in the in in the Mobius level of like alternate future detail. Yeah, the Jeff the Jeff Darrow work, uh, he did a little bit of uh, work on the Matrix comics too. That's that's the Matrix comics and the video games, all that stuff. That's I can I have a hard time talking about any of these movies without talking about the whole franchise because there's so much there's so many elements of the story that get introduced in these side projects and other things that then play out in the, the features. It's, it's very strange. It's, it's such a weird uh, franchise to begin with. 
yeah and, and they... the matrix really illuminated a lot of the plot points to give that whole the whole background of why we are where we are with this world brings up some more interesting philosophical questions as well mm -hmm. and did, did, are there other of you uh, familiar with the video games i've never know, played them i'm aware I, of them i know that when they filmed the the part two and part three they also filmed the scenes for the video game that niobe's a part of mm -hmm. yeah that's uh, enter the matrix like niobe's character you know you get a sense in the movies that there's so much more story there for her and you don't see it but it's in the video game mm -hmm. yeah and then after the movies were over the matrix online launched and that's what I'm really trying to wrap my head around with the new movie coming out. There's some things that go on there that I don't know how they're going to reconcile or if they're just going to skip it completely. But that's the end of everything. Is the Matrix to... online still online? No, it lasted, I think, until 2009, 2005 to 2009 with like new missions rolling out every three weeks and it had a narrative and a story that uh, continued Morpheus's story, continued uh, a bunch of the Merovingian story, a bunch of weird uh, plot points developed. The kid who showed up first in the Animatrix and then pops up in the last two movies. He's got a ongoing thing in the in the video game. It's just bizarre. The one, it was clear they had grand ideas for the kid. Mm -hmm. and the one who worships Neo. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who freed himself from the Matrix. It was such a great idea in the, in mm -hmm. the Animatrix short. Uh, and then they just never really went back to that. I don't know if they did. Neo, in the, in Neo the was game. annoyed with his attention. Yeah. <laughs> with his adoration. Right. And that's, that's yeah, that's one of the really th interesting things I've found about rewatching the, the last two films was just how, how, and I guess it's a creative choice. I guess how, how differently they, the Wachowskis decided to go about telling the story or the story they decided to tell based on how the first movie ended. I mean, I don't think anybody expected, you know, uh, Reloaded and Revolutions to do what they did. That's a lot of what I didn't like about Reloaded when I first saw it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I went with a group of friends um like after work one day to to go see it and like i walked out of the theater legitimately angry <laughs> that the movie just didn't hit my expectations and uh again re-watching that now i'm not sure it's completely changed my opinion i still just do not like that movie for for topics we can get into shortly but it, I, I certainly see a lot more of the philosophy behind it mm -hmm. yeah and i was expecting a superhero movie yeah, it's clearly a, a really radical shift versus what we were expected were expecting in the from the end of the first movie. He, I mean, he basically has the Superman scene. You could have expected Reloaded to be a Marvel movie, but instead, it's something completely different. Yeah, I mean, I like that. I like I at the time, I still enjoyed it. I but I was I wasn't sure where they were where they were going with it, and it was it was kind of interesting rewatching it again because I. I like you said, I haven't seen it in years, uh, and I, I I loved it when it came out. I mean, all these things. I just immersed myself in it. I even 
I remember getting some guy on the Silver Bullet <laughs> comics website on the chat rooms there, <laughs> getting him so pissed off that he quit and never came back <laughs> wow. in defending the Matrix movies. But so I, I was into it at the time and then just haven't touched it or looked at anything about it for probably at least 10 years, 10 or 15 years. I, no. I really loved it when I saw it too. Like I did, I walked out of the theater. I'm having a hard, I still have a hard time kind of separating the second and the third one in my head. Some, some part, some parts of it, but cause they were filmed together and they do have a similar look. Yeah. They but, should be watched back to back always. I just, I, I can't watch one without watching the other. Right. And uh, I mean, it had a lot of things. I was very satisfied by it in the theater. But then the more I thought about it, the more I was kind of like, you know, I'm still trying to kind of figure out the theme of, of, of all the things they were talking about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, and, and some of my favorite parts are like the most confusing parts. <laughs> like, like I thought the Merovingian was fascinating but he's also so hammy and over the top. And I thought uh, Persephone was amazing. I've always loved that actress, but she's only a spurned wife who's concerned with real love. You know, she's a, it's like every, all of the long-term programs, all of the rogue programs are, are, are our vampires, werewolves, and demons from our mythology. They're not anything else. They're not very intelligent. They're just kind of angry machines. Not even machines. Just, right. Just programs, yeah. Angry software. Yeah. Well, that's something but, that, well, sorry, go on. But, you know, then with characters like the Oracle, I thought both Oracle actresses did everything they could with that part. And uh, I thought, you know, the architect was kind of ripe for, for being lambasted immediately, right? Like, I don't know if I remember the architect or I remember Will Ferrell's impersonation of him <laughs> on the MTV Movie Awards that year. Oh, that's hysterical. They're like the same. I mean, he, he got the, it, it's just he spews nonsense that doesn't make sense. Well, see, that's the thing. It does make sense, though. It, it, it's it's overly complicated and it's obtuse, but it basically just boils down to you know very simple concepts that nobody, I mean, nobody got. I never got it the first you know in, the, in watching. I had to go back and like, oh, I don't know how many times I watched that scene trying to follow <laughs> the logic, and eventually something clicked. And, it, you know, and that's also where you get a lot of the backstory and this just these hints of the history that the Wachowskis worked into this whole tapestry and and, you know, like where the Merovingian even comes from, what he is and those monsters and demons. Um, there's a it's not verified by anything official, but there's a fan theory that's based on dialogue from the movies and from the games uh, and all this in one of the games, I guess in 
the Matrix Online after the movies were over, the kid has a blog that he keeps that updates story story points and you follow it. And at one point he mentions that the Merovingian is an operating system. And so people have taken this to think that he's like the the deleted or the the uh, out of date operating system that was in charge of the matrix before the functioning matrix began. So there were like two before uh, they got it right. It was the paradise uh, matrix where nobody could accept it because everything was perfect and beautiful. And then there was a second matrix that that they think the Merovingian was the operating system for, and it was like the, the, the evil or the hell matrix, the nightmare matrix. I think that's what they call it. And so that's where there were monsters. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was where there were monsters and demons and all that stuff that, uh, and again, the humans rejected it because they could, they had no choice. They were just in it and being tormented. And then it was the Oracle's program that uh, figured out that they needed, that we needed the, at least the illusion of choice to maintain the settings in the matrix, keep it from crashing. And so there's all, there's this, all this stuff that's not even in the movies, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not even really explored much in the games, but they're just, there are hints and little comments and things that people have just connected all these dots. It's just bizarre. I, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around all of it. Well, that sort of explains, you know, why the Merovingian hated the Oracle. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. And all of his symbolism like that, his nightclub was called hell and mm-hmm. his castle was full of all of these weapons from throughout history and you know his girlfriend is persephone so he's hades mm-hmm. right? right and uh i mean she did an excellent job kind of hinting at the powers of the programs like you know like all of the questions that dialogue with no matter which character was with her was like figuring out a puzzle mm-hmm and what you could trigger and if she would open the doorway to the dungeon or not. Right. Or, or, you know, if she believed your kiss or not. Um, Yeah. And that's the same thing that happens in the video game is uh, whoever you play Niobe or her second in command, they have to, they come across uh, Persephone and have to do the same thing. Have to do the kiss test. Ghost. Ghost. Yes. Niobe and ghost. Well, that's interesting. So the kiss isn't necessarily tied to Neo or tied to the male gender. It's tied to honesty. Mm-hmm. Yes, pa- real, passion. real love and passion. Like that's mm. that's sort of the discordant thing for me in a certain way, right? Like, or that's one thing I think maybe people were disappointed in in the second movie and the third, right? The second movie is all about saving um, Trinity from the visions of doom that Neo sees. Mm-hmm. And he actually has to heal himself, right? He, he gets killed. And well, he does that in the first movie. And 
he heals her in the second movie. And then the third movie, they're both kind of doomed. But their love, like the love story, the emotional level is, is very increasingly important in the sequels. Well, yeah, yeah. it's I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Paul. No, I was just gonna say it's yeah, it's it's so it's such a dramatic shift in uh, wh where they're giving their attention uh, from the first movie. And like like we said, the first movie ends with that Superman moment, and I was I was really expecting some sort of like superhero movie, and you know that's all about him accepting that he's the one, he's the one who can save everybody. And then the so second movie. Is just I, I now I find it just fantastic just for how they just completely shift that to the side, you know, and and we have to realize that yeah he's Superman in the Matrix, but he can't be in the Matrix all the time, and when he's not in the Matrix, he's just you know John and or Thomas Anderson, you know, he's just a dude with no special powers, nothing until we can get to that in a bit, but. Uh, and he's just this normal guy and having to deal with all this, all this shit that's just being piled on him and all this expectation. And he's just a dude. <laughs> you know? And then the real emotion from the film comes from, um, first of all, what does it mean for him to be the one, right? The mm -hmm. second movie particularly undercuts the idea of being the one. Exactly. That, you know, you, you may think you're special, but actually you're not. You're only one. You're the seventh version of this being who's really just part of the already existing go uh, uh structure that you're being brought into so you're yeah. really not special you're just another one of the same thing he's a glitch that's a feature <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly um and then you know this leads into the beautiful bits in the third movie where you know despite his his blindness um as a human he's able to still transcend that and become uh you know more towards truly being the one so the yeah. character arc between those two movies is wonderful for his character. Yeah, Wi-Fi and, and Wi-Fi freeze him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that just as an aside really struck me in watching uh, even the first one again. Everything's like phone booths mm, and yeah. flip phones and all this stuff that like is really dated now that we don't really do. Like I don't like how. It's going to be interesting how they deal with that in the fourth movie. Yeah, very. Which, that's what I was is, talking about when I said how much I like the retro feel of it. Like those those old cell phones really just gave it a whole different feeling. That that's kind of what they intended with the rotary phones, also. You know, it just felt dated, but in a way that's really kind of retro futuristic, I guess. Yeah, well, nineteen ninety nine. <laughs> it, yeah, it just went so well with like the black coats and the shiny leather, right? And then whenever anybody uses one of those phones, they like go tsh, tsh, like a gun or something and it pops <laughs> open or it pops closed. It's, it's like everything is so slick. Like half of the performances from any of the major cast, it, it's like, why would they stay in the real world, right? You can really understand Joe Pantani liano's character sorry jo joey pants joey pants <laughs> yeah. so much easier to say he's like i want the fake steak and i i just as soon as they're in the matrix they're beautiful they're well dressed and they have these extra abilities yep 
Yeah, this goes back to something that Jason, that you and I talked about when we were talking about the endless, about how much better it was in the cult. <laughs> right. And the outside world was just garbage where they just worked horribly, horrible jobs all day, every day. And, it, and it, that, that whole idea still is here too. And it's just, and again, like, like you say, Sean, why, why would you not want to be in the matrix? Especially if you have, you know, if you can have access to extra abilities, able to tweak the, the, the code. And he did, he did have like the superhero, you know, he did have expanded powers in the sequels, mm -hmm. right? Like he does fly from the, the, the chateau to the, the, the mega city to save uh, Morpheus on the top of the truck when it explodes. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, he, he can stop all bullets from that point on. And he still is, is, there's a scene in the trailer for the new movie where he's still got those abilities. And we're not sure if, if Trinity has them now too. But as they did die, are these, is this like the eighth iteration in the new movie? Like, that's what I'm curious about. That's, that's got me curious. But that's, again, we never really see them die. We, we, Trinity appears dead, but in watching pierced, it again. Pierced by all those spikes. Yeah, but they didn't hit heart or lungs. They hit stomach and shoulder. So I was watching that and I was like, oh, they, they've got an option there. They, they, can, yeah. they can bring her back. And Neo, you know, when he dies in quotation marks, you know, we'd never see it. You know, the machines take him off in his Christ pose and, and you know, lead him off somewhere. And that's a big plot point in the video game in the Matrix Online is that they never return Neo's or Trinity's bodies. And that drives Morpheus off the edge. Morpheus really wants their bodies back and becomes a, a terrorist in the new world, hmm. setting off these bombs that, that reveal the code to people who aren't awake yet and driving them crazy and killing them, basically killing off people just to try to get uh, the machines to return Neo's body. And he's, then he's assassinated by the machines in the game and his body's never found. So it's just some weird, it's just, it's interesting stuff that I don't know if they're going to actually pull from that. I mean, I can see them just skipping from the end of uh, revolutions to the new movie and just pretending that the video game never existed. But if they do, there's going to be some interesting things that they're going to, they're going to need to address, but. Well, symbolically, right. That Christ pose is, mm -hmm. does signify rebirth. Exactly. Like, like it's an end, it's always an end and, and a resurrection, which is the title of the new movie. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's the point uh, that drove off that guy from the from the old website. <laughs> he was like, "Oh, it's just he's just being Jesus." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, that's that's a, that's one of the most profound and widely used metaphors in Western literature and film is the Christ's imagery." And he was right. just so pissed off, and he just logged off and never came I back. mean Ripley gets to be Jesus too mm -hmm. right right over the course of all the alien movies right mm -hmm. and you know and she, she was goes almost from being human to being robotic she goes from being a, a specific person to being more symbolic sorry Sean keep going no you're right you're right and you know she was almost going to be involved in the the one that didn't happen right 
there was still talks about bringing her back again. Yeah, I think so. Neil Blomkamp's version or whatever it was. Right, right. And uh, I don't know. Ridley's going in a bizarre direction with that, but more power to him. You know, he's all over the place. <laughs> yeah. But for an eighty-year-old man, he's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and that I I would like to talk a little bit about the Wachowskis themselves, right? Like, how different is this movie going to be? since it's only Lana and not Lily, right? Lily did not want to make a sequel, right? but Lana did. And then I was thinking about what the two of them have been working on recently. Like Lily was involved with a show on Showtime called Work in Progress. Mm. Have you guys checked that out? I'm not familiar. No, I missed that. So it's uh, a comedic, I guess actress, uh, she identifies on the show as a queer dyke, the, her character. I don't know about the real act, actor. And um, some, she, she has a, a circle of lesbian friends and she starts dating a trans man. And her friends like, so are you even a lesbian anymore? And she says, I was never a lesbian. I'm a queer dyke. So it's a lot about identity and what you call yourself. And uh, there's also a bit with one of the, one of the actor, two of the actors on the show are Weird Al Yankovic and Julia Sweeney playing versions of themselves. <laughs> wow. Weird Al in this version is completely boring in real life and the long hair is a wig. And Julia Sweeney played the Pat character on SNL, which is a very problematic character for trans identity these days. So Lily's kind of exploring gender identities and all of that stuff with this show. And it, it's a comedy, by the way. It, it, it's one of those comedies with like a flawed main character who's always kind of making fun of themselves. And so kind of cringy on purpose. And then Lana, they did Speed Racer together. And then she did Sense8, that mm -hmm. series on uh, wherever Netflix or wherever. Right. Did either of you check that out? I saw part of the first season and fell behind and, and never caught up. Because that was that I mean, was a very sci-fi concept. Right. That all of these children born at the same time around the world had a group mind. Okay. And they were all sorts of gay, straight, trans, black, white, etc. Yeah, I watched the first couple episodes and I was struck by how diverse the whole story was and how it encompasses global kind of world too. I just didn't feel as American-centered as a lot of those type of shows often are. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, maybe that reflected, you know, the Wachowskis have access to the whole world with their amazing success. So why not take advantage of that and, and cast and and you know and the, and it went on location 
that that show was mm -hmm. it was like in berlin or in africa or wherever or in london or in iceland right they picked all these great places to go to so uh, i don't know what that means for what this new matrix is going to be like but matrix was pie the matrix was pioneering right in zion in having a multi ethnic multiracial cast kind of before we were even talking about that the way we yeah I, yeah i think that's that i mean i don't know i don't want to you know suggest things out of line but i think that was a big part of the uh the backlash is that there are just too many brown bodies in there for a lot of you know sci-fi fans which is kind of a historical you know truth it's it's really hard to deny that uh, you, you I mean, mean the backlash to the second and third films yeah yeah and that's i mean i don't know there's not i don't i don't know any studies or anything like that or you know polls but uh, i i just i can't imagine having a large cast of brown skinned people as your leads and, and supporting and filling out all those roles i can't imagine a lot of you know uptight white guys really digging that especially the way that they've taken over the whole red pill concept and you know right wing circles so uh, i, I, I don't know about that what, what have they done with the red pill oh if you if you take the red pill you're waking up from the commie fascist the commie fascists that are you know taking have taken over the world the woke mob the, i think oh. q actually uses the analogy this is based on the hbo doc i watched on q where he actually uses that the red pill analogy to say hey we we're, we've taken the red pill we see the actual truth beyond behind the artifice of society we yeah. see how things are screwed up and we see the true connections between things yeah 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 and, and <laughs> yeah it, it's like creepy as fuck but at the same time you know so Neo getting, back, his, getting his vaccinated is taking the blue pill right yeah mm -hmm. wow They've hey. gotten so adept at twisting everything. Hey, Sean, we're both wearing blue that. shirts, so obviously we took the blue pill. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm a rebel, baby. <laughs> this is my gay Star Wars shirt. <laughs> What's a gay Star Wars shirt? I, I well, see it's got a rainbow. I don't know. Oh, nice. It? Okay. I didn't see that. I don't know for sure. But <laughs> I, I decided to be a rebel nonetheless. Yeah, you can't tell, but I'm, I'm wearing my purple uh faster pussycat t-shirt so oh nice <laughs> <laughs> but to your point paul like one of the things i tremendously enjoyed about this movie is the fact that there were different faces on the screen mm -hmm. and none of them were tokenized and yeah, exactly. it just felt so like connected to the world it, it, it felt it had this very casual diversity to it that just made me uh i don't know it just felt comfortable but like it's a true reflection of the world we live in. And so, you know, if we if we take the people in Zion as those who have woken up to the truth of the matrix and reforming their own society, then I think it is a like it feels like it's a better portrait of the world we're living in. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, there's definitely some class and race stuff that's touched on, right? Like the Merovingian and Persephone couldn't be more European ruling class, right? And they represent that 
I think it Paul's it, Paul's explanation makes a lot of sense. They record they represent that second evil matrix, and um, but then our our guiding characters, the Oracle is black. Morpheus is the one who sees the truth, uh, and um, Niobe and Jason. Jason's the leader of the mm -hmm. Zion community, um, and even and Link and his warrior wife who are fighting the final invasion of Zion, like. All of the characters are given kind of equal emotional weight and and fully. So it's not just the 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 extras in the background; it's the main cast that's right. diverse. Until then, until you get you know the architect and the agents, you know who are. I don't think I think all the agents are white in everything, right? Well, that's what it's going to lead to is that the oracles are African American, but the uh, architect is white and the guy in the second movie who early in the second movie goes to Neo and lectures him about, about predestination is also an older white man but he's, he's an exception because the rest of the members of the ruling council by and large are multi-ethnic multi-racial um, so there, there's something kind of interesting about the ruling class versus those who see a, a different level of reality those who see predestination versus free will. Yeah, I mean, right. and, yeah, and talking about predestination, free will. That that I was uh, I was really surprised by how they went into that the way they uh, the way they did. I mean, I mean, at the end of the second movie, you know, when Neo chooses, yeah, I guess we're. You know, spoilers <laughs> yeah we're assuming everyone's seen these movies yeah. at this point when neo decides not to save zion and reboot the matrix to go back and save trinity yeah i mean that's that's the anti the antithesis of you know for the the good of the one or the good of the many over the good of the one mm -hmm. which is I, I mean that that blew my mind when i saw that when it when that happened and the way that plays out, I think again ties into why it the the third movie gets such a negative response from people because it doesn't play into the uh, the superhero uh, cliches, I guess. And the the final conflict, you know, you've got your big over the top action sequence, you know, for the for the climax. But the actual ending of the film, the way that everyone wins and survives, is surrendering. You know, Neo surrenders to Smith, and that unification of those two sides uh, is what allows the machines to purge the virus and create peace. And I think that just was something that people just really didn't want to handle they wanted a superhero fight they wanted a good guy winning over the bad guy and it, it doesn't really play out like that and so we get this 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 thing where is it really about free will and choice or is that like a feint to become actually just about accepting 
two sides, accepting your two sides and reconciling the good and the bad in, in the individual, I guess. So it's just, it's, uh, it gets well, so, it's so ambitious. <laughs> and the, I, don't, you know. I noticed in my rewatch the, um, the second Oracle, the third movie, mm-hmm. um, her earrings are the yin yang symbol. Yeah. Except both sides are the same color. Mm-hmm. They're, they're green, but they're that symbol. So she's, she is, and green is, is often her color. And she is like the unification of different sides. And she's the one, I think, who tells Neo that, no, it's, it's uh, the agent himself, right? He tells Neo, I'm your opposite. No, I think right. she does too. She does too. Yeah, they both that that they they really are mirror images of each other, which is also what happens in every superhero story too, right? Right. Superman and Lex Luthor, Batman and the Joker. But they always beat down that bad side. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's Eastern philosophy behind it all, right? There's there's not conflict but acceptance. Mm-hmm. And it's and there's also this makes me think again of Dune, right? Dune is about predestination and and seeing the future as well. And kind of in sci-fi, the main character can always do that. But if if that comes up, if, if they have prescient visions, they're true. But then the question is. Should they share them with anybody? Does it help anybody to know the future before it happens? And Dune ultimately, you know, in like the sixth and fifth book says, no, it doesn't help. Yeah, I think this, this major kind of touches on that as well. You know, where the, you know, the Oracle can't see past a certain point and she can't see beyond uh what points of uh moments of choice that haven't been resolved yet or something like that if you can't see beyond a choice you don't understand yeah yeah that's it and he says well i need to make a choice and she's always she repeatedly says you've already made you just don't know what it was (laughs) (laughs) you're here to figure it out you're here essentially to learn more about yourself and why you made your choices. Yeah. Right. And and in the second movie, he literally, Neo says, well, I can't do that. I can't figure that out. Which, you know, she basically laughs in his face when he says that. <laughs> Contrast to that to the architect who only really sees things as he thinks they really are. Yeah, logic. Yeah, logic. logic. But I think he's more limited than the Oracle too because he's only able to to perceive things in a very logical way where she's able to see things in a more organic way. Yeah, and and he knows it and it tears him up inside. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He's he's so frustrated and angry that 
that she was able to figure out how to make a matrix. It can't be his perfect matrix. It has to have these flaws that have to, that, I mean, that's the whole point of Neo is he's the, he's the culmination of the flaws that will either crash the matrix or, you know, have to reboot and start again. And he hates that. <laughs> I love he, that. He wants balance and she wants destabilization. Right. Yeah. And, and the Merovingian just wanted causality, one thing leading to the next. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which yeah. Persephone, who is his number one critic, finds so boring. Mm -hmm. so predictable mm -hmm. because then what's the point of anything that's always been the, the thing about predestination you always know exactly what's going to happen what's the point of you waking up during the, the next day right you're just going to be living your life uh i mean neo is really about as you were implying paul kind of transcending those binary choices you know he's the one who makes uh, an alliance with the machines in the third movie and you know is able to to kind of embrace both sides of himself and then by sacrificing himself is able to destroy the virus of agent smith i guess he's not a virus i guess he's a rogue program a worm maybe <laughs> <laughs> as, a, as a software guy i'm not quite sure i understand this whole analogy with the software but that's fine <laughs> Yeah, well, he's a he's an invasive program ultimately. That he's a hacker, yeah, or a hacker's tool. He hacks everything. But his evolution is also interesting. He is he was created essentially just to just to, just to fulfill the prophecy of Neo, but becomes uh, when he has the moment in the first movie of bonding with Neo, or Neo kind of. It goes inside him and explodes him. He also gets this moment of awareness, the spark of life inside him that opens up a world for him as well. Only for him, it's very self-centered and self-replicating, right? Uh, obviously, it manifested in the second, in the in the, the giant battle scene in the second movie, we have thousands of, of Agent Smiths attacking Neo. Um, but Neo, his, his awareness is really about the other. So it's one versus the other as well. Yeah, very much so. What do we what do we think of some of those big set pieces? I, that's that's what I went kind of and looked back at uh, yesterday in my box set was like the the second movie has the burly brawl, yeah. that battle, and it has the the freeway chase which is pretty amazing. And it has the Chateau battle against all of the excellent stunt players who are the vampire programs that's so beautifully choreographed. And uh, like those major, that's what they put a lot of their filmmaking energy in was getting those signature scenes that are memorable, right? I used to have mm -hmm. a plastic model of the Chateau set. You could buy like <laughs> the action figures of, of the whole thing. And I never took it out of its box. 
because it was just so perfect to look at the way it was and it reminded me of the movie so perfectly and uh, I finally sold it on eBay you know like a few years ago but I had it it was a gift for, that I liked a lot for several years and uh then the third movie has the coat room battle and all of the big uh superman versus uh zod battles between uh <laughs> yeah. neo and the agent but it's are, are they did they just repeat themselves and get grander and grander or were they doing something different with those with those signature scenes that's a good question i've never really thought about it um it seems to me that just off the top of my head, looking back, the, uh, the assault on Zion takes up such a massive part of the second of the third movie that it kind of overwhelms those other scenes. I, I was having trouble even remembering other action sequences in the third movie because all I'm remembering, and I just watched it like you know last weekend, is the assault on Zion and then the big fight at the end between Neo and, and Smith. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you've got to have, they had, I guess they felt they had to have the action sequences. Otherwise it's not a matrix movie. Right. But I think they were more, I think they were really more preoccupied with the questions, the philosophical questions. And so the action sequences maybe, maybe did become a bit more repetitive because they weren't, they weren't uh, the real focus where the real conflict was kind of a big well, switch. The nightclub battle, right? It's 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 in the coat room, which is kind of funny. Mm -hmm, like yeah. not even a major. They get off the elevator, they're in the coat room. That's right. That's right. And it has a lot of columns, like the government battle scene from the first movie, the government lobby, mm -hmm. where they just walk in and let us all know that they're these weapons masters. Mm -hmm. And but instead of square columns, it's got round columns, and instead of fighting on the floor with a bunch of guards there's vampires there too so they're skittering along the ceiling and they're having to shoot up at them right so it's it's basically the same scene but with some twists to make it interesting and they're trying to find the key maker at that point from right. the merovingian and eventually they do and yeah and those set pieces in the first movie like saving uh, Morpheus from the skyscraper with the helicopter and Neo um, being chased and stopping all the bullets and Trinity being chased and being our introduction to the powers right. of a, an awake Matrix character. Yeah, I, 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 I think maybe the third movie, the, the Assault on Zion was so multifaceted that of course that sort of over it does overwhelm everything else because we're yeah. seeing so many different battles against these invading robo drills and and we do have the moment there where when they confront the merovingian that to, to try to find neo i mean neo has been shunted off to a place where he he's completely ineffectual he can't do anything he's trapped and right. Trinity comes up and they're going to have another big fight. And she was like, I don't have time for this shit and puts a gun to the Merovingian's head. And they just bypass all that. So, yeah, 
they have the battle downstairs but they don't carry it upstairs to the club they're just mm-hmm. like she's like shut up stop, stop. <laughs> he, he just goes on and on and on yeah we're sick of your shit already uh <laughs> the the fights in the third movie really reminded me of maybe the, the epic battles in return of the king where they just are so large and so all-encompassing that there's not really a lot of air for anything else to be happening they just are completely involving you and because of that yeah like that's true the moments that stand out for me are the moments like neo being blinded uh, but still fighting back but really it's the war that's the main focus of everything it was hard to, to flip back and forth i agree with you paul uh, I, I just felt like I lost the continuity outside of, you know, the men strapping themselves into those giant monsters. Me- mechs. Yeah, the mechs. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's why I feel like if you don't watch them back to back, you know, I think back to back, I think the momentum carries and it, it, it kind of you, you get more of a feel for the flow of that action than if you separate them by a year, you know. <laughs> Like like the they didn't when it was released. I guess what it was wasn't a year, but it was what uh, the reboot was May and Revolutions was November. Yeah. So yeah, six months. Um, I mean the the <laughs> fight scene on the or not the fight scene. But yeah, well, it was the fight scene on the freeway. Mm-hmm. It's twenty. It's a twenty-two minute long sequence. As long as a, as a half hour sitcom. And apparently they built two miles of freeway just for the battle scene. Yeah. In San Francisco, <laughs> outside San Francisco. Uh, it's just astonishing. Yeah. See, and the, uh, the box set uh, points out several times that all of the construction materials for making that were ultimately sent to Mexico for um, housing needs in, <laughs> in undeveloped communities. Huh. So they, cool. they, they recycled all of that, at least that set, because it was so much raw wood that was used to build those walls and, and to have it, you know, be two miles of set. And all the cars were stunt drivers and half of them were CGI cars so that um, Carrie Ann Moss wasn't really endangering herself driving between them in the opposite direction and of course there was a stunt motorcycle lady as well she learned to ride motorcycle for those scenes if i remember right i forgot to look up is is like was the matrix her first big movie i know she'd been on tv carrie ann moss but she said something in an interview that She'd never seen herself on the big screen before The Matrix. Or that she wouldn't have a career if it hadn't been for The Matrix. Yeah. It might have been. I'm not sure. Oh, wow. She's from around here. She, she was born in Burnaby, British Columbia. The Vancouver suburbs. Wow. Uh, she was in Chocolat in 2000. But yeah, Wikipedia is saying her breakthrough role was Trinity. Yeah, 1999. Yeah. So it's interesting also who they brought back and who not for the new movie, right? No, Lawrence Fishburne and uh, Hugh, what's his name? 
Hugo Weaving. Yeah, Hugo Hugo. Weaving, yeah. Mm -hmm. Both have said they weren't contacted at all. Yeah, see, that's what makes me wonder if they're going to be incorporating the the video game where where Morpheus is dead. Uh, But they do have the guy playing the new, playing a young new Morpheus. Right. And there are so many clips in those trailers that just make everything questionable there's and there's him dressed as an agent there's him being digitally created and there's him you know like waking up i just i have no idea seeing a different face and then he shakes his face and it's the neo's face yeah yeah and there's that jonathan groff character who sounds like an agent but then there's a scene of him with his mouth zipped shut Mm -hmm. which happened to neo in the first movie Yep. And something I didn't notice until really until this rewatch was that opening shot where Neo's in the the uh, at the police station in the in the room. It opens with the uh, architect's wall of videos watching him and then zooms into the one and then we get into the scene. And I I like sat up and went, oh, (laughs) squealed. It was just like, it's the architect. It's the architect. He's been watching all along. I didn't realize that, Paul. Wow. I hadn't either. Like I said, I, that was the first time I noticed it. Huh. And uh, there's just so much. I mean, there's just, there are all kinds of little things in there that don't seem to add up to anything, but they're texture. You know? and, and that when you see the whole thing of, from overhead, it, it has a really... I don't know. Very satisfying. It's very satisfying for me. It's it's ambitious and satisfying. I, I don't. I don't. Even when it first came out, I didn't think it really f- failed on any of these, you know, any of these points. Other than maybe they didn't they didn't go far enough with some things, especially with like the representation. I think in the first one, wasn't Switch was supposed to be a a, a man in the real world, but. Uh, residual self-image was a woman in, yeah. in the matrix and that got cut so I'm, I'm really hoping to see more stuff like that in the new one hopefully i mean we, but they yeah, sorry no go ahead no i was gonna say that that's just one of the little things like then like for these programs to be werewolves and vampires and ghosts we really only see the ghost manifest any kind of you know image visual representation of that i would like to have seen monsters you know it could have taken you probably would have taken us out of the out of the moment but you know if you if you say there are monsters and werewolves and aliens i want to see them you know not just more euro trash dudes who get shot you know take a silver bullet to shoot them in the head well uh, apparently having tattoos all over your face makes you a monster Mm -hmm. you know they did it they did it through costuming and and style yeah Uh, to some extent and you know and they showed like that old hammer movie on the screen in the yeah. chateau do you know but what that movie was by the way i didn't recognize that uh i'm sure it's online somewhere i don't know which one but yeah. it looked very hammer to me yeah well, the it, only, it looked the, english rather than italian yeah i couldn't figure out why night of the lepus was showing in the in the the kids scene in the first movie when he when he goes to see the oracle and walks in and the kids are making things float and and man night of the lepus is on in the background i was like what the hell what's this what's the symbolism there giant rabbits well 
Alice in Wonderland White Rabbit. True. They yeah, use, maybe that is just it. They yeah. use uh, they use a little rabbit icon to find uh, the Easter eggs in some of the DVDs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that that's and Alice in Wonderland is a book that Neo is reading in the new movie in one of the um, someone is reading it the, somebody, somebody who may be Sati grown up the little girl at the end of the trilogy oh and, seems and like if, a really interesting character I'd like to know more about her yeah so that's another thing that I feel like they they could have done a little bit more with um she was apparently like the first program without a purpose born without a purpose so she was you know created by two programs uh born out of as blood. a child yeah as, as a, a child, child with no set purpose and that's why she would have been set for deletion because she was superfluous but and that's why they see and this is all stuff you find out in the video games the parents went to the oracle to try to get their daughter out and the oracle gave them her uh like her code key to take them to the merovingian so that the merovingian would free the daughter so that the merovingian could kill the oracle's shell <laughs> and that's why that they, was this, this whole convoluted thing is why they justify having a new person playing the oracle in the third movie in actually she first shows up in the video game with niobe so it's a long convoluted thing but uh, you know and he's wanting the oracle's eyes and all that but but she's supposed to be something important and she, you know the oracle thinks that she's going to be important to the machines and humanity and all we really get is at the end she makes a sunrise you know, makes the sunrise beautiful and we lose the green tint that's been over the matrix through the whole time which leads right into the the trailer for the new movie the new mega city that yeah. emerges this it's, arrives it's san francisco there yeah. are landmarks and things I, I was watching a video of someone who was like i know that house that apartment that neo is apparently maybe living in is a street that we, I go by every day because I'm house hunting right now. <laughs> and, and, and the coffee shop, there's a coffee shop, no, a noodle shop in there that's a real place that this guy, you know, he lives in San Francisco and he's like, I go, I eat noodles there all the time. And it's in the, the new movie. So it's like the first time they've actually set it in a real named city. Right. They so make the point of just saying the city. There's mm -hmm. phone books that you can see throughout the book, the movies. On the subway too, it just marked the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they took pains in the matte paintings and the establishing shots to move the buildings around, so it didn't previously look like SF or um, Sydney, Sydney or something yeah. where they filmed or Chicago. Yeah, where but maybe from. maybe you know the other interesting thing, Keanu has said in interviews several times, they didn't do a lot of rehearsing for this movie. That, that Lana's directing style had changed and they really kind of reacted in the moment and were more spontaneous, hmm. which is pretty hard to do in like a heavy special effects laden sci-fi story. So I don't know what that really means, but it was apparently like a quicker, looser 
set than any previous matrix set. Huh. I, I, I love to hear that. <laughs> that's, that's making me even more excited for this. I, I, I know really it, sound, it sounds creative, but it doesn't mm -hmm. sound like lazy or misguided. It sounds like experimental. Mm -hmm. Even though they're recreating shots right and left. <laughs> and did you see the, the new trailer, the, the deja vu trailer that just overlays scenes from the original movies with the new shots that are mimicking them and mirroring them? No, I have to go look for that. This it's, makes me think more and more it's about the resurrection for the I guess it would be the eighth generation now. Uh, let me see. I think there's. I think I think Neo was the sixth. Yeah, he was the sixth. So. And as the as the movie ends, as revolutions end, we are moving into the seventh generation, right? Right. So it's not twenty twenty one ninety nine in the real world. That that's another thing that I really love, and I, I think. They, it was difficult to get across. And so I think many people might've just glossed over it when it originally came out was that they think it's 200 years. I think it's been, you know, 200 years since the, the matrix started and it's really been at least 600. And they've got all this secret history that nobody knows about except for some key programs who won't tell anybody. And so that it's such, it's so much bigger and more interesting than I even thought it was at the time. It just, I love that sort of thing. I mean, nobody, none of the characters know. And so it doesn't really, it doesn't really play a part in the actual progress of the, of the story or the, even the, the actual narrative, but it's all there in the texture and in the background. And it's, that's, that's why I just, I can't talk about it without talking about the other things the comics and the the, the games yeah, I never even played any of the games but I've been going back and watching things about them now and learning things I never knew about until this watch was specifically designed that way right it was one of the first yeah. true transmedia properties yeah yeah that's that's again that's another thing that's so impressive about the whole thing that this vision was just immense and they and the matrix was just so so well received so successful that they were just given free reign to do whatever they wanted and this is what they did and you know like i said people weren't happy with it but i think the more you the more you dig into it and the more you see all the the wide-ranging things that are going on in this in the world extra textual extra textually uh it just becomes more and more impressive and by the way we say people weren't happy with it and that's certainly true certainly in my experience but Matrix Reloaded was the third most popular movie of the year it came out. It made something like $760 million yeah. worldwide. And it was a, a tremendously successful film. So it hit, it hit a nerve. Yeah. It's maybe a case where, you know, the haters hated and the people who saw it at the time enjoyed it well enough and obviously recommended it to their friends and saw it more than once. Yeah. So again, it's a Star Wars, you know, uh, reflection where the star wars movies you know keep making more and more money but they get less and less <laughs> uh, coherent or, or yeah well received people are people were excited about it mm -hmm. they were excited at the time everybody was ready for more matrix especially with that, with that dun, that dun 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 yeah. ending of reloaded that that 
I laughed out loud in the theater when Reloaded ended. And it pulls back to the the guy that Smith's inhabiting, and the music literally goes dun dun dun. <laughs> I was furious that I saw it, <laughs> and my anger just built all throughout the movie. And looking at it now, I realized in some ways, like my anger was kind of not. Ang- I, I was wrong to feel so frustrated with the movie. First of all, I was just angry that the world of Zion wasn't what I was hoping to see. And that instead of it being some idealized, interesting world that, you know, somehow transcends our everyday life, it's a class-based society with a ruling class, like in the fucking first Star Wars movie, we have a council scene, which I just got like, you know, great, you know, we've got Star Wars all over again. And then, um, you know, we got this military grade, these are, we got bickering wives and husbands. It's like, it's just like the real world in some ways without realizing that's kind of part of the point yeah 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 like it's like you said it, it's it's not what anybody was expecting they just went off and did their thing i i i compare it a lot uh to um uh christopher nolan and what he did after you know, the batman movies you know gave him you know more money than god he gets to do whatever he wants to and he makes inception which i can't stand i'm bored totally by inception from start to finish it just i think it has a such a lack of imagination that he gets all the money in the world can do whatever he wants and he makes uh, a james bond movie where you know the world turns upside down now and then they, they play with gravity it's even got a, a, a skiing machine gun on machine guns on skis chasing somebody it's just like straight out of a bond movie well paul it's got levels it's a world inside a world inside a world yeah, and you have to keep track of of where you are in all of these uh concentric times i know i know and i was thinking about it a lot in relation to the matrix movies because the matrix movies obviously influenced this going mm-hmm. into a mental reality side of it right it did something that the first matrix movie didn't do with the switch character mm-hmm. because with the tom hardy character some of his identities within the levels were females hmm. right when they're in the hotel and he's trying to flirt with their mark he's he's a woman in a dress ah. but it's See, still i watched tom it hardy. once and i watched it once and was just turned off and never went back to it so I'm, I'm, I know I'm missing all kinds of things. I know that my, my opinion is the wrong opinion in this case. I've but, watched it like uh, 10 times, at least three times. And I, I paid to see it in the three theater three times. Yeah. I, I was caught up just, in it completely. I walked out just disgusted. And I, I reacted to it like people reacted to the Matrix sequels. And was just like, ah, I'm not going back to it. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> But I'm so glad I went back to rewatch the Matrix sequels because it completely changed my perception of actually this conversation with you and the YouTube videos I watched also kind of, I appreciate the flaws quite a bit. I think the second movie particularly is really flawed, but there's so much more there than I thought there was. Yeah, I, I'm just curious, well, what, what flaws were you seeing? Because I'm, I'm, I, I felt like it was the stronger of the two. And so I'm really, I'm very curious. The number one fly I think is in Reloaded is all the scenes where the movie stops for exposition. 
Mm. It just, there's like four or five different scenes where characters just talk and it's basically about free will versus predestination. And it just felt like it was being hammered down mm-hmm. over and over again. I can see that. And my other feeling of my other flaw with that movie is it just starts really kind of weakly, haltingly, you know, you've got all these scenes that kind of just don't really amount to anything at the very beginning. I know there's defenders of the uh, rave scene. Uh, you see it as like a moment of, of personal freedom and it's showing that these people are alive, but like, I felt like that scene was just too long and kind of disgusting. <laughs> I, I okay. <laughs> it Let takes me, like um, it takes like forty minutes for the movie to really get started. Then once it gets started, it really starts to take off. Yeah, and part of the problem, you're right. It does take a while to get started, and part of the problem for that is that the inciting incident takes place in the video games. Mm. Yeah, you know, where in or not in the video games? I'm sorry, in the Animatrix. This the right um, the flight of final flight of the Osiris is. You know, some people finding out that the the machines are coming for Zion, and so they have to drop off that information in the matrix before they're killed, and then that's uh, and then that plays out in the video game as well, where that's where Niobe goes and gets that information, or I, I think, or no, no, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, I get confused. <laughs> there, there, there is there is a disk of information that get pat that is getting passed around, right very star wars yet again with princess leia you know getting the message to r2d2 etc and uh but that is a part of it for sure there's there are formulas that they dressed up in different ways yeah before we go i want to ask have you guys seen either speed racer or jupiter ascending i've seen jupiter ascending I have not seen Speed Racer. I saw Speed Racer years ago, and it's like actually top of my list now to rewatch. Because I would say, like you know, those are Wachowski movies, and both of them have a lot of amazing visual beauty, but complete that nobody else can do the way that they do it. But you know, pretty bad or horrible stories. They did Cloud Atlas too, right? Oh, and Cloud Atlas, yeah, yeah which was Cloud a good Atlas story. Really, their passion project. Yeah, yeah the, the writer of that. Um, what is his name? Oh my God, just oh, he's a really, I just can't remember. He's a really good writer. I've got yeah. I've got the book, and it really it does something different than the book, but it captures everything the book wanted to be. Well, he he did the script, and he worked with them on Sense uh, Sense Eight. Sense Eight. And is co-writer of the new movie with Lana and someone else. David Mitchell? Yes, David Mitchell. That's right. Yeah. I always, yeah, he's I got always a... go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna say I, he he's got the same name as the British comedian. And so I every time I mention him, I feel like I have to clarify not yeah. the funny it's one. A, he's it's a very, on Matrix Resurrections, I guess. It's a very gen- generic name. Mm-hmm. His, but, his books um, are great. His books are great. And you know, Cloud Atlas jumps through time, six different times mm-hmm. with reincarnated souls or whatever. But in the book, it's a complete palindrome. Right. It, yeah. it, it goes through each time forward 
in order, and then it goes through each time backwards towards, which is very strange structure for a book. And, but it works. And the, yeah, that is like their most successful project, I guess, since The Matrix. And Tom Hanks says it's his favorite performance that he's ever done. Hmm. I know there was a lot of con controversy. Yeah. They had the people, was it Hugo Weaving was in that? Has he done up as, you know, as, as Chinese? Oh, yeah. Somebody. But, yeah, there was a lot of controversy about but that. that. It fits the idea of the characters, though, because the, right. the idea of the souls being resurrected throughout time. Yeah. And, and Hugh Grant plays like a Native American at one point, too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, spent, I but, saw that in the theater and haven't seen it since. I would say, for me, forget Tom Hanks, this is the Hugh Grant tour de force film. Okay. Because he really remakes himself repeatedly from one era to the next. And he's almost uncredited. Like, he's a character actor. He's never the lead. But hmm. you see him over and over. Looks like all but, the Wachowski films are on HBO Max. No, oh, cool. I would love to see them. David Mitchell did a book called The Bone, the is it The Bone Clocks? Uh, that uh, is about these immortal, like they're almost time vampires sort of things. It, it's great book. That's carried over into another couple of books. Uh, I think all, most of his stuff all works in a David Mitchell verse kind of thing. Uh, but I would love to see the Wachowskis or maybe just Lana now uh, do some sort of another adaptation of a Mitchell book, preferably the Bone Clocks. That one I loved. I'd be my, ready my, for it. Yeah, my girlfriend was. She's every every time anyone mentions you know a, a new movie being made based on a book, she's she wants it to be the Bone Clocks. She desperately <laughs> wants it to be the Bone Clocks. Bone Clocks. Okay, I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, I should read. I haven't read that one. I've read a few of David Mitchell's stuff. I've got a couple things on my list. I got to watch Work in Progress also. And Speed Racer. Yeah, I've, I've always wanted to watch Speed Racer, but I've just never gotten around to setting, setting down and doing it. It's one, of, it's one of those movies where so many things are right, but the tone is, is somehow off. Like, it's, like it doesn't know if it's a kid's film or an adult film. I, say, I saw it with my kids when I was first out. I haven't seen it since. Like I, I, I remember just being this neo explosion, neon explosion of, of excitement yeah. and energy. It's I, beautiful. It's it's beautiful from start to finish. Yeah, I and, always you know, just they have sorry, Racer X. You gotta have Racer X if it's Speed Racer. And he's every bit as cool as you'd ever want him to be. I just every scene I see is just so overwhelming sense it's just overwhelming my senses and i just i feel like i'm gonna get a headache if i sit down and try to watch the movie <laughs> I, my eyes just can't process that anymore well let's close up our conversation on the matrix trilogy thus far okay uh, I, I have to say, clearly i still feel like the first movie is is the best movie and really one of the best movies of the Lead 20th, early 21st century. It I just agree. works on every level to me. The pacing, the philosophy, the way it's spun into the film itself, uh, the way Neo grows his skills and talents, 
it's like a perfect hero's journey sort of film. I feel like we'd be remiss not to mention the other movies that people say are better versions of the matrix, like uh, dark city, which came out a year before. Uh, I mean, I was, I was looking at there's 1999. There was the matrix, which released on Easter, by the way, uh, the 13th floor was an alternate, you know, as the, uh, alternate reality kind of thing existence from um from david cronenberg was a people inside a video game uh the cell came out in 2000 which was you know uh going into someone's brain vanilla sky was 2001 but you had the truman show in 98 where someone wakes you know he's waking up to this other world that he's being followed and watched all the time so there was there was like some sort of so there was something in the water you know, at the time, that was that a lot of people were hitting these, some of these same points. I also noticed, and this is something that I just like to bring up because it doesn't have anything to do with anything. But in 1999, there was The Matrix, there was Fight Club, there was American Beauty, and Office Space. All of them, these people trapped in white collar jobs, and how it was destroying them, and they had to break out and get away from from their their work somehow. And then American Psycho the year after. All this. Or a horrible white color, white color work is destroying the you know people themes and, and across movies that year. I don't know what it means. <laughs> I don't know if it means anything, but again, it was just something that was in the water. 1999, a lot of white dudes felt anxiety about working in offices. Um, Fight Club is cited as an influence on the sequels too. Ah specifically um they did a special effect of neo punching the agent in the face mm -hmm. That's slow, -mo. slow mo with the face reacting yeah you see the knuckles and making the impression on the skin, and they right? were thinking about the end of the ed norton character in fight club yeah when, when i they, can see that when they did that scene so these we, movies are talking to each other too. Yeah. To some and we, extent. And we never really mentioned the fact that our heroes are terrorists in all of these movies and that they're gunning down police officers right and left. And that's something that doesn't really get talked about a lot. They're literally wearing black. Uh -huh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, then they are the black the, hats, the, the, the black uh, glasses, I guess, in this case, but. Yeah, I mean, it was like inspiration. Was it actually inspiration for the school shootings, or was that just something that people, you know, imposed on it after the fact because they wore the black trench coats? The trench coat mafia. Yeah, I, I haven't heard any direct connection, but I think it was very difficult to talk about terrorists after nine eleven. Columbine was before Matrix came out. April 20th, 1999. Okay. Well, yeah, see, they were in trench coats because that was like nerd attire. I mean, mm -hmm. Matrix had come out March 31st, I guess, so it could be somewhat tied to it, but I, I, I don't know. I don't think it's, I think it's hard to make a cause and effect there. Yeah. Well, that's always been one of the levels of the movie for me. It's like, it's okay the way you succeed is with all this weaponry. So you're just shooting everything. Yeah. So the re 
but then the point is the reality everyone thinks they're in is a video game they don't know but they're still killing people when you die in the game you die in your pod and right so that's that's a hard one to reconcile sometimes it is it does look super cool though it does (laughs) yeah i gotta admit though the gun porn I, I liked it a lot less now than I did in the past. You know, it, having gone through all the school shootings and all the other violence we've been through as a society, it just, um, I find it hard to, to idolize anyone who's using guns as a way of solving problems. I'm really hoping that's something that, that's addressed in the new movie. Because I mean, it, it, I, I can't see how you make a new Matrix movie and not take all of this into consideration. The, the way the world is now. That's the challenge that, they're, that yeah. they faced. I'm just, uh, I cannot wait to see this. Neither. <laughs> <laughs> Very excited. It's going to be, is it going to be on HBO Max as well as a theatrical release? Not I, at looked, first. I looked it up last night and I think they're, it's going to be released both places on December 22nd. Hmm. I heard in theaters only. Oh, okay. Uh, I think that was a that was an international trailer. I, I saw that clarified. The someone shared a trailer that said in theaters only, but that was an international. Uh, HBO trailer. is actually. I just went to the HBO Max website uh, in theaters and streaming exclusively at HBO Max, yeah. December twenty second. So it's going to be the Dune pattern. Okay, I Warner guess that Hall- makes sense for Warner Brothers. That is what angered all the Warner Brothers directors. Yeah, they said that's what they were going to do simultaneous. I I can't imagine it. I mean, it's going to cripple the box office for it. So well, it I'm, cripple I'm the wondering box if this is just a, uh, that's all international though. So I mean, there there is the chance for the and it's still nowhere near what it you know pre COVID what it could be. And yeah, I don't know. I I'm hoping that this is that the new one Res- Resurrections is strong enough to stand on its own like the first matrix did uh because i don't know if they're going to be if it's going to be successful enough to actually justify another trilogy if that's even or if that's even in something that they're thinking about i'm just going to be happy to revisit these characters and see what they've been through in the last 20 plus years yeah yep it looks good it looks very interesting to me Thanks for joining me today, guys. This is really fun. I will go anywhere, anytime to talk about the Matrix movies. So. <laughs> it was definitely fun to finally use my box set and take advantage of all the yep. That looked yep, so cool too. with that bust of Neo in there. I, I really wanted that Neo bust when it came out, but I didn't have any place for it, so I just had to get the regular set. It still bothers me. When you held that up, I was just like, oh my God, I want that so bad. Yeah, and it's even worse because I didn't buy it. <laughs> Somebody left it out in front of their house in like a box of free stuff. What? Oh my god! Somebody wow. was like, I guess they got the DVD, the Blu-ray or something. These uh-huh. are all DVDs. I have no idea, but I was just like, <laughs> what? And grabbed it. <laughs> oh my god! I want to live in your neighborhood then. Yeah, I mean, the only other one like that. The the fan the phantasm movies have one with the the ball that I want so bad too, but I, I just can't I can't justify these purchases. I have I make no. enough I make enough little purchases through the the weeks that I can't justify the big purchases that I really want sometimes. 
and that's one of them. 